Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Over the course of the next few weeks, we hope that you will join us after the service for small group discussions about the message. Also, please pray as we are considering making this a regular part of our services. Do you believe that science and faith are at odds with one another? This is the third week in a four-week series called Why Are You a Christian? where we're going to try to explain how science and faith don't contradict each other, they reinforce one another. This message is entitled, Science versus Religion. Well, welcome back. This is week three in a four-week series called Why Are You a Christian, where we are studying Christian apologetics. If you don't know what apologetics is, it's the science of giving a reply. Basically, it's the defense of the faith. People have arguments against Christianity, and apologetics is the defense for those arguments. So that's what we've been doing for the last two weeks, and we've got two more weeks, including this one, um, just talking about um, basically the defense of the faith, why we believe what we believe. And so uh, I just want to kind of bring back around 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter says, um, "Revere In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, but always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's what this series has been designed around, is giving a gentle answer to people who might even not be very gentle towards us as to why we believe what we believe. And today's topic is specifically on the topic of science versus religion. When you become a Christian, do you believe that means you have to check out of reality and reject science, scientific evidence and scientific research? Many people do. Um, Just for example, Aaron and I, the other day, actually this Friday, we went to um, San Antonio and we were going to sit down and Actually, I was going to do the drive-thru, but the boys really wanted to do the slide inside. So we went inside and sat down, and I said, hey, I've got my Bible here. Why don't we study Proverbs together? And she said, okay. So I took my Bible in, and that's what we did. We let the boys play while we did a Bible study. Well, this Chick-fil-A employee comes around, and she says, she's looking at my Bible, and she says, um, two things. Number one, can I get you anything? And we said, no. And so she said, okay. My second question is, what is that? And she points at my Bible, and so I'm like, well, it's my Bible. And she says, you actually take that around? You know, she asked me, you actually take that around and read that? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, are you a priest or something? And I was like, well, I'm a pastor. And she's like, well, I don't know the difference between the two. And that kind of developed into a a very quick conversation, uh, like maybe a two-minute conversation of the difference between Catholicism and being Protestant and which, by the way, good luck with that. That's that's hard to explain the difference. But anyway, I hope I did that justice. But anyway, she says to me something that just absolutely made me cringe on the inside. She said, have you ever seen the movie Nacho Libre? And I said, yeah, I'm going to kind of laugh about that. Have you ever seen Nacho Libre? You know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you're not missing much. But anyway, she says, um, well, there's a guy in there that says, I believe in science, not faith. And that's where I am. I don't believe in faith. I believe in science. And I... I for a minute, I was just dumbfounded. I couldn't even get a response to how ridiculous that statement was, and I was trying to be gentle with her, and so I just encouraged her not to get her faith from Nacho Libre, to get her faith from the Bible, you know, take ticker theology from the Bible and to read God's Word. So we ended the conversation with go read the book of John, which is a great place to start. Go read the book of John in the New Testament. She said she had several Bibles at home, so I was telling her, go read it, go read it, go read it. So hopefully that that will pan out. But the point is, is that her response to, to Christianity is a very, very, very common remark that is made, an argument against Christianity. Doesn't science disprove faith? And if so, 
Why do people cling to religion? One common argument from, from people who reject any idea of God is that faith is irrational. You see, to them, it's irrational to believe that God is real, that Jesus is his son, and that he died and rose from the dead. They might argue, isn't it a scientific impossibility for someone to die and raise himself from the dead? Have we ever seen that before? Does science revolve around fact? I mean, because that's what we believe. Science revolves around fact. And faith revolves around an opinion or a theory of what we don't know. Isn't that true? How many people that this alone, they, they, they reject science, they reject faith because they believe science and faith can never peacefully coexist. They believe that the role of science is to disprove faith and that faith's objective is to disprove science somehow. In order for something to be science, though, it has to use a reliable procedure that scientists use called the scientific method. Maybe you studied this in chemistry, maybe you didn't. Basically, with the scientific method, this is how it, how it works. With the scientific method, you begin with a question. So everybody starts with a question. Um, how cold does water have to get before it freezes? I noticed that that pond was you know, water yesterday and it's a block of ice today, so how cold does it really have to get before water freezes? So you start with a question. Next, you do some research. Well, if I'm going to figure this out, I'm going to need some water. I'm probably going to need a freezer. I'm probably going to need a cup, and we can figure out the rest from there. So you got to do some research. Then you form a hypothesis or a theory, and you say, basically, I believe that water will freeze somewhere around 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And and then what, you're, what you have to do is you have to test your hypothesis with a series of experiments. Basically, you do this experiment once, twice, three times, however many times, and then from those tests, you draw a conclusion from the result of your experiments. So the scientific method is how we answer important questions like, uh, why does a bird fly south for winter? How cold does water have to get before it freezes? How far away is the sun? How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop? We, we can find questions that the scientific method helps us to answer. But what about the questions that the scientific method can't help us answer? For example, how does a person fall in love? What if people, you know, what happens to a person when they're experiencing a midlife crisis? Why do they experience a midlife crisis? Why do some people experience a midlife crisis and other people don't? Why do I feel like I should be getting more out of my life? Where, why am I here? Where did I come from? What is the purpose of everything? What will happen when I die? These are questions that cannot be answered using the scientific method. And I know many atheists will promote the idea that if these questions cannot be answered very quickly with simple answers, then they're not worth asking. A question that can't be answered using the scientific method, well, then it's just not worth asking in the first place. And so atheists reject things like philosophy and religion, saying that it's irrelevant and unnecessary. That if you believe in any kind of religion, that you're irrational. That we believe in science and you believe in religion and you're, you know, you're, you're irrational and you're irrelevant and, and you're just, you're an imbecile. And, and the sad part is, is that Christians everywhere just surrender to these thoughts. I, I also want to point out, you know, something important about this is that not only are these questions worth asking and that you can't escape them no matter how hard you try, I want to point out that atheists, they seek ways to answer what they would consider irrelevant questions too. They have, they have a way of forming, answering these questions and, and they formed it in, in a theory called the theory of evolution. That is a religion. It's not science. 
The idea is, is, is that science against, is, is against religion is really a concept that atheists try to promote. The theory of evolution jumps on the side of science and attempts to make people who have faith seem irrational, maybe even delusional, but faith isn't irrational or delusional. The literal translation of science is knowledge. Science means knowledge. For example, when we say God is omniscient, we say he's omni, which means all, and science, which means knowledge. So God is all-knowing. So uh, the point that we need to look at and, and that we need to see here is that faith doesn't work against knowledge. It works in conjunction with it. There are things that we know because of science that reinforces our faith. Faith shouldn't be pitted against science any more than man should be pitted against woman. You know, or women. Are we, are we the same? Absolutely not. We have different roles. We have different strengths. We have different weaknesses, functions, and, and you know, we're created to complement one another, one another, not to be at war with each other. Um, one of my favorite uh, Christian apologists is a man named Dinesh D'Souza. He um, is a very, very brilliant man. I could never do what he does just because he is so incredibly intelligent. But what he does is he goes around the country. Not only does he write books, but he goes around the country, maybe even the world, and debates um, atheists, basically people that believe that there isn't a God. And so one particular atheist named Michael Shermer, the editor-in-chief of Skeptic Magazine, accused Dinesh D'Souza during one of the uh, debates of being very dogmatic in his thinking. That he was, you know, He said, this is clearly evident in the fact that D'Souza believes in an afterlife. And he mentioned it's ridiculous to believe in an afterlife, and there's no way to know for sure. There's no science. Science, you know, you can't prove that afterlife happens. And so Dinesh uh, D'Souza replied this way. He says, Michael, I agree with you to a certain extent. I don't know that there's an afterlife, but you don't either. You've never had a conversation with someone who died and came back and explained it to you. You can't devise a scientific experiment to resolve the matter one way or the other. I believe that there's an afterlife, and you don't. What distinguishes us from one another isn't that you know and I don't, or I know and you don't. What distinguishes us is that I'm willing to admit that I'm taking the matter on faith while you foolishly believe that you're defending your stance on reason. So basically saying, you know, I'm taking the matter on faith and so are you. I have faith that there is and you have faith that there isn't. Recently, I was reading a post by a guy who was very, very frustrated because in his mind, people seem to cling to religion despite what he called the mountains of evidence proving that evolution is true. Well, in his mind, he says, basically, science is you know, what we know and it's what we can prove. And basically, if you believe in, in Christianity, you, you are ignoring science. Well, the folly in the theory of evolution is that it attempts to explain questions that can't be answered by the scientific method, and it says that it's science. The reason why religion isn't going anywhere is because it does the same thing as a lot of what evolution does, is it seeks to answer the questions that we don't have answers to. Now, did you know there are actually several different kinds of evolution? There's actually six different kinds of evolution. For example, you have microevolution. Microevolution explains how there are variations within a certain species. For example, you can have dogs that produce small dogs, big dogs, white dogs, black dogs, hairy dogs, dogs with little fur, etc. Within a species, you have different variations. Um, it's within microevolution that we see the idea of the survival of, of the fittest. Um, if you put a dog, a cat, and a mouse in a box, who's going to survive? Most likely the dog, since it's the strongest of all the species. Well, Microevolution suggests that we evolved to survive. So, for example, a husky developed thick, develops thick fur because it's need, it needs it to survive uh, its frigid temperatures, and so it evolved. So that is something that we can scientifically prove. 
It, that's something that you use the scientific theory to prove. You do several experiments. You can weigh it. You can test it. You can observe it. But then you have all these other different kinds of evolution. For example, macroevolution. This suggests that plants and animals produce offspring different from their kind. So, for example, a chicken through millions of years of evolution can somehow produce a turtle. Have you ever observed that? Can you weigh that? Can you test that? No, you cannot. So, that's not science. Then you have organic evolution. This argues that life formed from non-living matter. You have stellar evolution that suggests that stars are formed from dust. Then you have chemical evolution that argues that all elements evolved from hydrogen. All the elements on the scientific chart that it all evolved from hydrogen. Have you observed that? Well, no. Can you test that? Well, no. Cosmic evolution that explains the origin of time, space, and matter from nothing. That what we might consider the Big Bang theory. Have we ever seen that? No. Can we test that? No. Only the first form of evolution is true science because it's the only one that can te be tested using the scientific method. The other five forms of evolution are not, are, are not science, they are religion. They seek to answer, <laughs> answer questions that the scientific method can't. Doesn't it seem unreasonable for someone to say that we must believe all forms of evolution even though they've never been observed, they cannot be demonstrated, and, and it can't be tested using the scientific method? Just because the first form is true, doesn't that seem unreasonable that we have to accept all of it? You know, I'm sorry. I'd love to believe all of that. I just don't have enough faith. Nothing about microevolution contradicts or compromises our faith. Keep that in mind. Yes, microevolution is true. We can prove that. You can test that. But you know what? We believe that God got two of every species, or four, depending on how you translate two by two, and he put them all in a big boat, and he sent a flood and destroyed the world. And then from two of each species, or four, however you read that, microevolution took place. You have huskies, you have, uh, you have Dobermans, you have uh, chihuahuas, you have shih tzus, you have all kinds of dogs from two dogs. So nothing from microevolution suggests anything other than that. You know, it doesn't compromise our faith. It reinforces our faith. That explains how God did it. There is no need to abandon our faith with this mountain of evolutionary evidence because it's all true. It, compromise, it doesn't compromise our faith. It, 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 it basically it, it goes along with it. It promotes it. It works very well in conjunction with it. All of us should encourage the pursuit of knowledge because you know what? We all want to know. We all want to know answers to questions that we can't answer. And there's nothing ungodly about that. Unfortunately, however, there are some things that we just won't know and we're going to have to leave to God and we're going to have to take on faith. Either faith in the Bible that it's true or faith that the Bible isn't true. We take that issue on faith. The Bible teaches us not to rely on what we know. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So in other words, there are going to be some things that you don't know. And you're just going to have to trust God. But doesn't belief in miracles, for example, doesn't that alone discredit the scientific research and evidence? You know, like, like how is it that you believe that Jesus turned water into wine or that, that, you know, that, he created, that God created life from clay? How is it that you believe that? Aren't those irrational beliefs which science has disproven? You know, science has actually performed several experiments where it tried to do the very same thing as described in Scripture, create life from clay and, and turn water into wine, and we can't get anything even remotely close. 
We can't even we can't even really change the color of water. I mean, <laughs> you can't do that. How doesn't that doesn't that explain that God doesn't exist and that miracles aren't possible? Doesn't that prove it? No. The only thing that proves is two things. Number one, we're not God. Number two, we don't know how he did it. That's all it proves. And wouldn't it make sense to believe that if God created the universe, that he could temporarily bend the rules of the universe to fit his will and fit his plan? God can do whatever he wants. He created it. You know, I have a friend who is an atheist who told me that he chooses science over the Bible because science has the ability to change. And for example, he said, the original conception of a human cell is extremely simple. But, you know, scientists originally thought that the cell had a nucleus and an outer wall, and that was pretty much it, the human cell. But after much scientific study and research, they've discovered that the human cell is far more complicated than the circuitry and the most intricate, intricate supercomputer. Like, there's, there's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal how wrong we were about that. And I quickly retorted, you know, because he says, you know, science, science can change and the Bible can't. Well, I quickly retorted, you know, science has changed because it's been wrong. <laughs> science has had to change because it has been wrong. What we thought we knew, we didn't, and it had to change. The Bible doesn't have to change because it's not wrong. He didn't like that argument, but, you know, whatever. Well, what about the Bible? He, I think I remember him even bringing this up. What about, you know, how the Bible has gotten it wrong before and science was right? Hasn't the Bible and religion gotten it wrong? I mean, what about the father of science and astronomy, Galileo? Galileo was the one who introduced the theory that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. He suggested that the sun wasn't the center of the universe, the earth revolved around the sun in an orbit. And you know what happened to Galileo? Galileo faced heavy persecution from the church leaders because of verses such as 1 Chronicles 16.30, Psalm 93.1, 96.10, 104.5, um, Ecclesiastes 1.5. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, 1 Chronicles 16.30 says, Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. So from that verse, he was, he was receiving heavy persecution because the Bible says that the earth can't move. And then the, in, in Ecclesiastes 1.5, it says the sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. So it's not the earth that moves, it's the sun. See, we can prove that by using Scripture. How can we take the Bible seriously when it was wrong about what moves, the earth or the sun? Galileo promoted the idea that the earth revolved around the sun, and he was branded a heretic. He was excommunicated from the church, and he was told to cease and desist. And because he didn't, because he kept producing evidence that the opposite was true, he was placed under house arrest where he died a few, few years later. So religion got it wrong, and science got it right. Well, first let me say that genuine Christianity focuses on a relationship with Christ not a religion, although we as Christians still do some religious stuff. But let me also say that it wasn't religion that got it wrong. It was the religious that got it wrong. Scripture wasn't proven wrong because the Bible isn't a science book. Scripture wasn't wrong because the common interpretation of Scripture was wrong. Well, if that's not what Scripture was saying, well, then what was it saying? And, you know, one of the things that people often do is they, they take the Bible and they quote mine. They look for an attempt to discredit Scripture by taking a verse out of context. So, for example, in Psalms, Psalms is extremely poetic. 
It has all kinds of verses that we don't take as literal translations. For example, in 1 Chronicles 16.30, just a few verses ahead of Chronicles, or, uh, Chronicles 16.30, that says the world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. Um, it says something different. Or sorry, a couple verses later. Um, it, it's very poetic as well. It says, you know, it makes mention of the seas roaring and the fields rejoicing and the trees singing. We immediately dismiss those ideas as, as literal because we know that seas, fields, and trees don't literally do that, so it must have been figurative. Well, could it have meant that the earth does not move, it cannot be moved, is something that is figurative as well? Does it mean that the earth is stationary, or does it mean that it's not moved from its course, that it is unpersuaded? Psalms 21.7, another poetic verse, says, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he shall not be moved. The same word, verbiage, the same word. So does it mean that the king, king will be forever stationary up there on his throne and he's not going to be moved? No. It means the king will not be moved from his course. He will not be persuaded otherwise. You know what we should really find disconcerting is that Galileo was excommunicated. Church leaders in the time of Galileo believed that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, one must, must take communion, which is what only the church had the authority to distribute. So, for example, in John 6.53, Jesus says, I tell them, when Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So the church took this very literally. They said, if you don't take communion and if you're not baptized, you don't go to heaven. So for someone to be excommunicated, and not allowed to take communion, it was the equivalent of saying, I'm condemning that person to hell, which they believed that they had the authority to do. Church leaders who should show 100% concern for saving the lost were content with Galileo going to hell. But we'll talk more about that a little bit more next week as we talk about Christian hypocrisy. Today, I just want to focus on the fact that science and faith do not contradict each other. They complement one another. Faith seeks to answer questions that scientific, the scientific method can't. Both are in the pursuit of understanding. God wants us to seek knowledge. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. Now I want to read this verse again, and I want to do some word substitution for the word knowledge. My people are destroyed from a lack of science. Because you have rejected science, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. So, I was talking to Erin the other day about this, and she and a couple of my friends said, you know, are you sure that you have the right to be able to move the word around, to, to do some word inserting there instead of saying knowledge, saying science? Listen, we have to be very careful not to separate science from the law. This is God's world, and he has established his laws by which it operates off of. And here God rebukes his priests through Hosea because they weren't teaching people basic laws and principles for life. For example, you reap what you sow, or in scientific terms, cause and effect. When you obey the law, things will go well for you. When you disobey the law, things don't go well for you. And he says that people were perishing because they weren't taught how things worked. They did not have knowledge or science of the way God had established the world. Science doesn't contradict faith. 
Science is a way of explaining the world in which we live, and without it, we would die for a lack of knowledge. You can't go and put your head underwater and breathe. That is science. That's what we know. If anything, science should point us towards God. It does not disprove his existence. It should point us to him. I want to read Romans 1, 18 through 20. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress their truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Listen, we cannot be arrogant because there are things that we understand about creation. Roman tells us that the only way we understand things of science is because God has made us, made those things plain to us. They are easy for us to understand. But notice also the scripture doesn't pull any punches about a belief in an invisible God. God hasn't revealed himself in any tangible way with the, with the exception of Jesus Christ. We don't get to talk to Jesus Christ. You know, we can talk to him through our prayers, but you know what? We can't hold him. We can't talk face to face with him. So how in the world can we believe that he exists? You know, we didn't used to believe that germs existed and, and we believe, you know, that that was a myth because they were invisible to the naked eye. Did that mean that the germs didn't really exist and they weren't really present? No, what it meant was is that we didn't have the means in which we could see them. Well, God has left his thumbprint everywhere you look. That was abundantly clear to Aaron and I as we stood on top of a mountain in Rio de Janeiro, New Mexico, and we stood in awe because of the majesty of what God had created. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. We had a very similar feeling when we stood over the Grand Canyon and looked over it. You know, a lot of people might argue that the Grand Canyon, for example, was just formed from millions of years of erosion, and they claim this, is, is this theory as scientific, but have you ever seen that? Are you able to test that? You know, if the Bible is true and there was an actual flood on the earth, that the Grand Canyon could have been formed in 10 minutes. We don't know. From the picture of the Milky Way to the amoeba under a microscope to the anatomy of the human body, one thing should be abundantly clear. Our God is an awesome God, and he, he can do incredible things. Before we close, I just want to say one more thing, and I want to direct this towards Christians. We should never be afraid of questions. We should instead encourage questions. So, for example, when someone says that they're really struggling with the idea of losing their salvation or they're struggling with the idea that the Trinity is a real thing, we don't need to suppress their doubt. We need to encourage their doubt and encourage them to explain it or to, to explore it and, and, and go to the Lord in prayer and seek an answer. Maybe what our responsibility is is that we should help them with the burden by maybe even explaining passages of Scripture. Have you done any investigation? Well, maybe here's some places you can look. If you have questions, don't suppress them. I would really encourage you to search for an answer. God doesn't want you to be ignorant. He doesn't want you to reject science. Science is not our enemy. Science is the friend of faith. We don't have to check out a reality to be a Christian. Faith and science both seek answers to questions that we don't have. And there's nothing stopping you from believing that the Word of God is true without feeling like an idiot, despite how culture tries to spin things. Darwinism isn't science. It's religion. It's faith that there is no God where we have faith that there is. And if we have answers to tough questions, it's really because God has revealed these things to us, which means to find answers to tough questions we really should be seeking God. I want to end with one passage of scripture, James 1, five. 
It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who generally gives, generously gives to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.